Hi, I'm Will, a bilingual English teacher and American expat living in Germany. And I'm Brenna, the editor of a literary magazine and a contrarian bookworm. Welcome to Scribes and Bibe, where we get tipsy and talk about etymology. We look up words with weird and shameful pasts or strange and contradictory meanings and then tell each other about them. The imbibing is primarily there to excuse the fact that I can't pronounce most morphemes to save my life. We get tangential in this episode. We tackle words like supple, aardvark, and tangent, along with examples of back formatting featuring lit and abode. And away we go. You want to start? Um, if you let me start, I will talk forever because I got really excited <laughs> about back formatting, which it's not a word. It's a thing that happens. And I found like eight examples of it and I got really excited about all of them. <laughs> cool. Well, then tell me about back formatting. Okay. Back formatting is when people uh, take a word that's already in use and they make it mean something different or they misunderstand what a word means based on modern usage, and it starts to take on new connotations mm. or new meaning. So the, the example I like to use from now is lit. Lit <laughs> used to be a verb, you lit mm. a fire, and now it is an adjective. That party was lit, and I feel very old just even trying to say that. So um, <laughs> Yeah, it's gonna... a word that I could never say in complete <laughs> earnest. Uh, just because I'd feel like, yeah, this is a funny, goofy little thing that it belongs to a participle. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, well, I would like to hear you say that this podcast is lit before I continue. Oh, Brenna, this podcast is so lit. <laughs> okay, and now we're done. We have to shut this whole yeah. thing down. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so my first example of, of this sort of phenomenon is uh, the word abode, which modern meaning of course is um a place of dwelling your house your home it's your mm -hmm. abode and it was originally the what is it past participle of abide so mm -hmm. you'd have the same present to preterite vowel change that you would with ride you'd have ride and road and you'd have abide and abode so if you're abiding somewhere if you're waiting for something to happen you're abiding but if you did that in the past tense, you uh, you abode. It is a, it is a verb. It is it is something you did. And then I think, and I, I don't have any proof of this, but I think at some point people were like, "I abode so hard <laughs> that that is now a noun. <laughs> it is where I live now. It is well, no like longer the, a verb." <laughs> in the 16th century. But yeah. Yeah, Bruh, they were just like my, they're my like this. Abode. This could not be. This could not be considered a verb anymore because I'm not doing anything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it is now a noun. And so, mm -hmm. in the I think it was the, let me see the 1570s, they started using it as a noun. And so I think it got really weird for people to use it as a verb still. So they changed it to abided. So now you abide, and then in the past tense you abided. They just went ahead and changed it. Those the irregular verb um, endings as soon as you get into different tense are fun though. Yes, they are. 
but super weird. It is nice if, if things are ruled by grammar that makes sense. Where you just say, yeah, it, I abide and I abide it. I, I swim and I swimmed. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to... Do you have more examples you want I, to talk I about? I have more, but I can just sort of sprinkle them in as we go along. I'd love to hear what you've been doing on the other end. Okay. Then, because I like talking, I will take you to an interesting word. I I don't know why, but I like words that have multiple meanings, just like the ones we talked about last time. So this time I found one, to rifle as a verb. Oh, yes. I'll rifle just by itself as um, a noun or as a process, rifling, or the stuff within the bore of a gun, rifling. So, as it was used originally, which was um, a long while back in the 1500, or the 1500s, in the 16th century, um, to rifle was to search quickly and roughly with the intent to steal. So you get into the pockets or into the bag or what have you, and you're going to steal the stuff, whatever you can get your paws on. But as soon as people started making guns and wanted the bullets to be more accurate, or the rounds to be more accurate and go further, then they metalworked the bore and drilled out a spiral within the bore of the gun, which imparts the spin onto the rounds, and that's why they are better at going further and more accurately. And nowadays, it's mostly used to just go through stuff. Maybe with the intent to glean information, maybe to seal, steal something, maybe just to go through stuff. And then obviously you've got different words that sprung from that, such as rifling in the rifle. Okay, so wait, tell me about how rifle differs from riffle, because riffle is also a word. Right, uh, riffle, if you have two F's in there, riffle is describes pattern... Um, do, wait, does it? No, that's Ripple. Oh my gosh, I'm, <laughs> I'm losing my mind. <laughs> um, Here, riffle. I got you, man. I got you. Uh, turn it's over riffle. something, especially the pages of a book, quickly and casually. Or a quick or casual leaf or search through something. That's remarkably is, similar. And is that one also spelled with two Fs? It is spelled with two Fs. And it does seem to come from both... Uh, but two English words, ruffle and uh -huh. ripple. So you weren't huh. wrong with ripple being an influence there. Yeah, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, ripple through the pages of a book. Yeah. Uh, originally comes from 1754, to make choppy water. Um, perhaps a variant of ruffle, which means to make rough. Oh, okay. So this is why I was mixing up with ripples, because my dad, whenever he talks about... Um, rivers and about whitewater little stuff like class one and two he talks about as though they're just riffles uh little riffly bits the riffles mm -hmm. in a certain section of a river um and that's just it's like choppy water it's nothing yeah. intense well and that's weird because that one comes from like fairly recent english like uh, late mm -hmm. 1700s and rifle is Old French going back to Germanic and even Old Norse Rifa to tear or break. So, like, I thought that they would have shared a source. All right. Uh, the next word I have also has multiple meanings. One of them is much more concrete, just like with the word above. 
in the world of guns. This one is in the world of geometry, uh, and also uh, a less concrete meaning that we apply to other things. The word is tangent, and I think it's a beautiful word. I recently chatted with my English class about it because we tend to go off on tangents, and I was like, all right, group, we need to make sure everyone knows what we're doing when we do tangents, <laughs> tangential things. So the geometric definition talks about an angle and the ratio between one leg and also a different leg, as long as those legs are part of a right triangle. And then it gets much more ooey-gooey when we just say, all right, diverging from an original purpose or course, hmm. which seems simple, but you could apply that to mean literally, oh, the ship went off on a tangent, mm-hmm. or the conversation did, um, or you could use it to say that something is irrelevant or digression, which I think have differing degrees of being bad. And it is also old. You don't say. <laughs> yeah. From this is actually new- a brand new word. Will actually <laughs> made it up. <laughs> Just discovered it today, and Brennan and I are like, <laughs> we will share it with all of y'all. Okay. Um, from New Latin, tangent, tangens, fr- which comes from the fancy Latin word, which was used in the 16th century, Linnea tangens, and... Uh, that would actually be a really cool name for a character. I was going to say that. I thought that was maybe like the person who discovered it. No, no, no. That is just the Latin. Um, and that literally means linea line, tangents, tangent. So it's a tangent line. Is, that's where it came from. And Speaking of tangents, I'm going uh-huh. to start one right here just because when you, when you said Linnea tangent and it made me want to name a character that... <laughs> um, I wanted to share just very briefly. Uh, do you know the you know the word anemone as in like sea anemone? Anemone. Oh yeah. Damn, my freaking word. Um, anemone. Anemone. So Don't hurt yourself, kid. I know, right? The reason <laughs> we call it sea anemone is because it's based on it looks like the anemone, which is a flower, um, and the sea anemone uh. just looks like a particular flower, and that flower is called anemone. Because uh, it's for the Greek, uh, it means wind flower or daughter of the wind. And I think that's the most beautiful name I can think of to name your daughter. But then your daughter would be named Anemone and everyone would think of this like (laughs) slimy little sea creature. And that just makes you really sad. Mm. And also the struggle anytime she has to introduce herself to anyone in any (laughs) language ever. Anyway. Um, Tangent That's a damn over. shame. Yeah. Uh, I like that tangent. Okay, um, you you still have multiple examples of back formations, and we've only heard about two. Well, but I guess my my back formation is maybe a bit um, of a tangent from the original meaning of back formation. I guess mine is more of uh, words that had already been established that uh, were given new meanings by uh, evolved usage, and that that's just going to be the theme. For mine, I think. All right. Good. Uh, my next one is absolutely absurd. I love it with all of my heart because it comes from everyone using everyone else's language incorrectly, <laughs> which I think is great. Uh, so the word is addle. Most people know it from the phrase addle egg or addled like an egg. Um, mm-hmm. We use it to mean 
shaken, confused, muddied, along those lines. In fact, it means to become putrid or to be spoiled, made worthless, or ineffective. It is from the 1640s, and it has like a bunch of um, origins. Um, it comes from the archaic addle, which means urine or liquid filth in Old English. Um, it comes from the Old Swedish, adel, which means urine, Middle Low German, same spelling, A-D-E-L, adel, uh, which means mud, and Dutch, all, which means puddle. Oh, that is beautiful. Yeah. So if you ever say, I'm feeling really <laughs> addled, you're talking about feeling like old urine that's gone putrid. Uh, so here's where the confusion <laughs> came in. In the mid-13th century, the popular phrase was addle egg, but that just meant an egg that hadn't hatched. So an egg that went bad. An egg that was full of putrid old mm-hmm. urine. Ugh. <laughs> And here's the, the great part, is that it's a lone phrase of the Latin, ovum urinum, which means urine egg, an egg that has gone bad. But the Latin mistook a Greek term, uh, urion un, putrid egg, which means wind egg, from urios, the wind. Mm-hmm. But the Romans looked at that word, O-U-R-I-O-S, which is wind, in Greek, and they had a word that was spelled exactly the same way that meant urine. Hmm. So the Greek, so the Greeks had a, a phrase for putrid egg, which meant wind egg, and the Latin looked at it and they were like, "Nah, this means urine egg," which means the same thing. It still means a putrid egg. And right. then we gave that to addle egg, and then uh-huh. <laughs> gradually in the 1600s, it, it came to mean like vain, idle, confused, muddled, or unsound. And then from there. We were like, okay, it just means muddled or confused. Mm-hmm. So oh, that has, that's got some <laughs> serious history to it. <laughs> it's just everybody using everybody else's language incorrectly. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, yeah that's how you pronounce that word, right? No, it's not. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> cool. And this is how you spell it. No, you're wrong. No, it's right. We got this. <laughs> and yeah. along the way while you were, while you were explaining that um, one bit in particular stuck out to me which was a beautiful pun um so in german there is a name for the elite especially the old school financial elite back oh. in i don't know the 19th and 18th centuries and that is the adel der adel yes uh, and you and it's spelled a d e l exactly like how it was spelled in the old school German for putrid egg. <laughs> You're kidding me. And I'm sure it's not on purpose. I'm sure <laughs> that came around by itself. And well, it's a has a different development. The but middle really low fun. German, it, it originally meant mud in German. Oh, gosh, that's even better. <laughs> I, I kind of think that's that's the best. I would I would love to know why. I mean, I can imagine why you would name your upper class uh, after a mud puddle, but <laughs> I'm trying to imagine why they went with it, I guess. All right, Adel, edles Geschlecht, which is the uh, lovely breed, basically. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta wonder. I gotta wonder if they're like, what did you just call me, you peasant? And they're like, oh, did you think I called you the dirt beneath my feet? No, no. It's this new word that all the kids are using that means yeah. <laughs> super great wealthy dude. <laughs> Wink. 
<laughs> so it gets deeper here. Um, so it goes back to old Saxon, where they still have the uh, th, the letter that is pronounced th, and it goes back way back to a Germanic word for home, uh, possession. What do you? What's the English word for what you pass on to your children? Your your estate or your yeah exactly yeah. So estate or whatever the whatever they get to have after you die yeah I so think that's all of those the words all of those are wrapped up into a spelling that is really very close to Adel Adel hmm. uh, just with a couple of different letters like old school letters that have since died out even in um, old Low German so home and estate to me well that's that's also very close to, well, to the earth and to ground. Right. And then, well, if you go back to Niederhochdeutsch, which is um, old High German, Udal, O-D-A-L, Udal, is the family's estate in terms of property and earth. That uh, so is so interesting. Keep on getting closer to mud. Whew. Well, I feel like though that was talking about what this is all, what this show is all about, that almost felt like a tangent just because we spent so much time with one word and went back to the eighth century. My God. God congratulations. We have all time traveled so yeah. very, very far in, into our collective past. Yeah. Um, but we're going to hop back into the future, if I may. Please. I another word. Just because I think it sounds really nice. And I think the first time I ever heard it was from a Harry Potter book on tape when Harry goes to buy his wand from Mr. Ollivander and there's a description of one of the wands and it is supple. However, supple can also be used as a verb. What? I, I didn't know that, but we'll start with the adjective definition because there's a lot. There are a whole bunch of definitions in there. Compliant, often to the point of obsequiousness. Ooh, mm. Wait, what is what does obsequiousness Ob mean? Obsequious normally these days is used to mean like uh, ingratiating or unctuous, like someone who mm -hmm. sort of kowtows really easily to authority okay. figures. Yeah, maybe a negative spin on compliance. Yeah. yeah. Or the positive option for that definition is readily adaptable or responsive to new situations. Right. Which. I think it's nice. And you can already imagine how this applies to material. As soon as mm. you start talking about material, yeah. you're going to I have some material second. that's constantly kowtowing to me. It's very yeah. uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So if you were to take the next three definitions, I think you could take all of them and that would really grasp what Rowling was talking about when she described a wand as being supple. So, capable of being bent or folded without creases, cracks, or breaks. Able to perform bending or twisting movements with ease. And easy and fluent without stiffness or awkwardness. Seems like a weird description for a wand. You know, like, yeah. it, sound, it, makes it sound, makes a wand sound kind of flaccid to me. You know, it's like, <laughs> no. it's like I'm going to, like, helicopter dick my wand at you, and that will, like... <laughs> and then... Um, as a transitive verb, so you always have to have yourself a direct object to go along with it. Hmm. You can supple something or someone and make them more 
complacent or mm. relaxed, or you could even alleviate some of their ailments with a salve. You would supple them with a salve. Really? Or you would probably supple something. I don't think you would supple someone. To make flexible or pliant is a third option uh. for the verb definition. I'm guessing that would be more with like leathers or other materials that, that you would work on. And it's from, let's see, from Middle English, prior to that, Anglo-French, hmm. and prior to that, Latin. Big surprise there. Yeah. Ooh, and it's related to supplicant. So, oh my god! Entreating for mercy. That makes cool. so, so much sense. Huh. From, from, so supplicant comes from the Latin for basically to fold yourself relative of plicare, to fold. So if you entreat for mercy, especially in times when one uses Latin, you're probably going to be doing so prostrating yourself in yep. some sort of religious manner, which involves, yeah, being supple. You got to be supple in the old, old various churches of the world. This is amazing. I think that we should incorporate that into uh, religious language mm. and prayer more often. You know, like, especially like <laughs> New Age churches that are trying to, you know, like, be hip. Be like, come on, guys, let's get supple for the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm thinking of that word with your definition of it as, as being all flaccid. <laughs> There's people flopping around all over the place in the congregation. <laughs> all right, let's move on from this word to something else. Uh, okay, well, this would be a, probably a good transition into the word ache, which I want to talk about just because it's hilarious. Um, okay. My primary motivation for most words. Um, <laughs> so, the word ache, as in, you know, pain in one's muscles or a pro prolonged or protracted uh, pain comes mm -hmm. from the old english achan i'm not really sure how to pronounce it it's a c a n and uh it's proto-germanic uh it comes from uh to to suffer from continued pain so like the the definition of it has stayed really strong mm -hmm. um all the way through here's where it gets funny uh originally the verb was pronounced ache the way we use it now but the noun was pronounced atch like to rhyme with batch uh, uh -huh. because it followed the same conjugation i guess of like uh, speak and speech so you right, the verb right. speak and then the noun speech but here's oh god here's what's really dumb in the 1700s a dr johnson uh made the false assumption that it came from a greek origin specifically the greek akos uh which means pain or distress and is a distant relation to the word awe so he saw that and he was like obviously <laughs> greek is where this comes from and everyone before me was stupid so I'm going to go through and I'm going to change the pronunciation and the spelling and the like. And so now we say ache no matter what. But if you want to be a purist, you should be pronouncing the atch that mm -hmm. you have in your muscles is, is, uh, is aching today. That is, that is what you would say. <laughs> uh, that sounds goofy. <laughs> no, no, it's pretty silly. That's fun, though, that the Greek word would also make sense for our modern uses for ache. You know, as soon as you get a little more abstract and say, oh, I've got a heartache. Yeah. Because of feelings, like, oh, 
yeah, I think um, the distress. You are not the first person to notice this, and um, apparently linguists kind of think that there are multiple origins for words like this because the sound of groaning or of pain tends to be that deep, long ah kind of sound, um, and that that would lead to words that reflected that. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. It makes sense, and I like that. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't always make sense, so it's nice no, when, no, when no. something does. But I would like to end this podcast on the word. The word of the day is aardvark, which is oh, yes. a South African <laughs> groundhog. The word comes from 1833 from the Afrikaans Dutch, and it literally means earth pig. You're welcome. <laughs> This has been Scribes Imbibe, and we'll talk to you in the future. Mm-hmm.